0: looking at our chronological journey through the gospels and we're at lesson number 39 we're really coming toward the end of jesus's year of popularity and so we're going to see things winding down very quickly and the hatred of christ kind of ramping up very quickly as we continue on through the next few months and uh, we'll find ourselves pretty soon back in the gospel of john as well as he really didn't deal with a lot of the synoptic Gospels during this period. So we've largely been in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the synoptic Gospels. Today we're going to be looking at Mark's Gospel and then Matthew's Gospel, uh, talking about using our gifts and talents. And so I want us to see the first point is a little bit more difficult to get this using our gift and talents, but... I just want us to clearly see in the very first point that the disciples followed him. Part of using the gifts and talents that the Lord would give them very shortly as we get to our second point, we'll see of the Lord calling the 12 to himself. We'll see the Lord giving them in the third point gifts and sending them out. It was first necessary that they simply followed Jesus. They were there when he went to Nazareth a second time and saw how the people there in Nazareth still rejected him and how Jesus dealt with that situation, as we'll look at in our first point. But also, they were with Jesus. He called them, they followed him, and he gave them gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would argue that they had to learn to use the gifts that the Lord had given them. So in the early 80s, we were in a season of economic turmoil that left much of the construction world kind of out of work and I was just a young apprentice bricklayer at that time and uh, I found myself sitting at home unemployed for almost a year during that time and uh, maybe I would have done things differently as a older bricklayer than I was as a un- younger bricklayer at that time still in the apprenticeship But uh, there was a point to where if my boss, for example, didn't have work for me, I'd I'd go look somewhere else. But at that time, there was nowhere else to be looking. Uh, Industry shut down, housing shut down, and we were just kind of on the unemployment train, and it wasn't a good time. Lily had to go back to work. She had been at home with our kids. Um, I became Mr. Mom, Mr. Dad there at the home. But saying all of that, during that time... I had a lot of time to practice bass guitar. I was in a Christian band and I practiced probably during that period more than any other period during my life. I was taking lessons, Uh, fortunately could still afford to take the lessons. And I was practicing, learning scales, learning how to play. And although you don't even see me play bass anymore, any of the skill that I have as a bass player, I can tie back to the early eighties for a year that I sat at home a lot and got to crank up my bass amp and play music. Um, The time was useful in that sense, not in a lot of other areas, uh, but it was useful in that. I gained skills during that time. It was a time when things were going hard, but I took advantage of the difficulty and gained skills in other areas that I wouldn't have had time to do. And I think sometimes we can come into areas where uh, difficulties in lives can cause us to gain skills that we perhaps wouldn't even know that we could develop but we take advantage of the difficulty to gain the skills that will help us in the future and i hope that when we look at these things today about the disciples and they're following jesus and taking opportunity to develop the skills and sometimes the lord works in us in such ways that we find unique opportunities to develop skills that will help us in future ministry, as did that period of learning how to play the bass better, and I'd been playing for 10 years, but I locked in as a bass player during that time, and uh, people noticed. I played rarely. You know, a couple of years ago, Lily and I were down at a pastor's conference, and uh I just, I never offer my services, but I did that year. They didn't have a bass player, and we were at the church, and I said, you know, I could play with you if you want, and if you want to warm up, and if you want me, fine. If not, fine. But, so they did, at least for one session, I played with them. And uh, then afterwards, we were eating lunch, and one of the people at the table, the gal was a bass player, and she goes, I can tell you were a bass player that you want a guitar player who plays bass, but a bass player, and there's a difference. You guys wouldn't understand that. But I would lock all that into that time of learning. And so what's going to be our time of learning? I think I want us to look at using our gifts and talents. They may not always be necessary, In the future, the Lord may develop us in different ways with different gifts and talents as he has for me. But there has to be a starting place and there has to be a place where we develop those gifts. And I want us to see today in using our gifts and talents that, first of all, there in Nazareth, they were astonished and unbelieving in Mark 6 verses 1 through 6. And then in Matthew 10, we're going to go from verses 1 through 15. And we're going to look at two points from there the calling of the 12 disciples, and then the sending of the 12. And we'll close out the study with that. But all along, I want us to just think about our own life, our walk with Jesus, and the gifts that he has given us, and how are we developing those gifts that he has given us. We begin in Nazareth in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. This also is found in Matthew 13, 53 through 58. I don't think this is to be confused when Jesus in Luke chapter 4 went to Nazareth, and and I'll talk about that in a moment. I think these are two separate occasions that I think Jesus went back to Nazareth and, in a sense, giving them a second opportunity. How many of you, when you first felt the call of God upon your life, responded at the very first call? Or... For many of us, it took a second or a third opportunity. I think that's what we're seeing, a second opportunity in Nazareth. Let's read a bit of the text and begin to talk about it. He's back in Nazareth, the verses 1 through 3 of Mark 6. And then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hand? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. So after Jesus was baptized, after his 40 days of temptation, in the wilderness, when he came out of that, according to Luke chapter 4, he went to his hometown to announce his ministry. He did so by going to the synagogue. And on that day, he read in the synagogue from Isaiah um, 61 verses 1 and 2. Luke gives us most of that reading. He doesn't finish Isaiah 61, verse 2, because it really deals with the second coming of Jesus Christ. So Jesus stopped short in reading that day, but this is what he read reading from Luke 18, 19, and t- Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. After reading that portion of scripture, the word of God tells us that he took the book, the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant. He sat down and with all eyes upon him, he sat down not because he was in the audience, And just sat down and said, go ahead, Rabbi, preach on. No, he sat down because he was the teacher. He sat down to teach the people. They were looking at him and he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And the people marveled at the words of Jesus because having grown up, in their community, it caused them to doubt that this could truly be the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, that Jesus Christ could be the Messiah. We find here that their attitudes hadn't changed. Ever since the time, and the first time he announced his ministry there in Nazareth, and they tried to take him out of the city to cast him off the cliff. And yet Jesus, Luke 4.30, passed through the midst of them and went his way. Now, a year or more later, he returns and he is a known teacher. He has his disciples with him. And in this passage in Mark chapter 6, I see the compassion of Jesus returning to the place where they had tried to kill him to give them another opportunity to believe in him by teaching in their synagogue. Mark tells us three things about this occasion. First, they were astonished at Jesus's teachings, their familiarity with Jesus, knowing him as the carpenter. They knew his mom. They didn't men- mention um, Joseph here, his stepfather, because it's assumed at this point that he had died. He's just not named beyond the early years of the uh, childhood time of Christ, but they knew mom, they knew his brothers, named the four brothers, mentioned his sisters. They also knew he wasn't trained to be a teacher. So the Bible tells us they were offended because of him. His crime? Well, he taught them as no other man had taught them before. John 7:46. One of the officers who later in the Gospel of John would be sent to arrest Jesus would come back to those who sent him to arrest Jesus, and they say, where's the man? And the officer responded, no man has ever spoke like this man before. He was captivated by the words of Jesus. The people here were astonished by the teaching of Jesus, yet it offended them. Who does he think he possibly could be? Second, they were astonished by his miracles. Where did he get these mighty works? They couldn't not recognize the work. We've already learned that they'd already began, not in Nazareth, but in the other areas, condemning Jesus, saying it's by the power of Satan that he's doing these things. The people could not um, say that the miracles were not happening. They were evident. And yet they were denying the mighty works that he did. Nicodemus would say to Jesus, we already studied this in our chronological gospels. In John 3, 2, Nicodemus would say to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God because no man can do the things that you do. No man. These miracles are testifying that you are from God, but the people were denying the teaching Now they're denying the miracles. And number three, they were astonished at Jesus' great wisdom, which could have testified to them, that should have, that God had sent him. Yet their unbelief clouded their understanding. In John 7, 15 through 17, it tells us that the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? And Jesus answered and said, My doctrine is not mine, but he who has sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is of God or whether I speak of my own authority. Jesus said, I know these things because God, my father, has sent me to you. But they question that reality. So. Scandalous is the Greek word that is translated as uh, they were offended because of him. And so normally that means a stumbling block. They put a stumbling block before him. In this passage, it refers to someone being offended to take offense at Jesus's character, his words, his conduct, here his miracles, in a sense that they are rejecting him in unbelief. And sadly, their familiarity with Jesus, watching him grow up, knowing his family, his past occupation, blinded them to the truth. And today there are numerous people who are familiar with the account of Jesus. Oh, yeah, I saw that movie at Christmas time. I really didn't understand it. They might be familiar with a little bit of the teaching of Jesus. Maybe they've even read the Bible. But... They're familiar only to a point, and they fail to receive Jesus as their Savior. That's what's happening ultimately in Nazareth. They're failing to receive him as the Messiah. And so Jesus responds, verses 4 through 6, "...a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and and in his own house." And he could not do any mighty works there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Being part of the Godhead, Jesus, his power is unlimited. But the Godhead often chooses to work in response of the faith that we have toward the Lord. It's not that God can't work. He can and he often does. But often he chooses to work in response to our faith. It could be an individual's faith, a group, a church faith, a nation's faith toward God. And at present only a few Nazarenes believed, only a few were healed. Even worse, Jesus had come to his own people, the nation of Israel, and although their prophets had foretold of his coming, like there in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, most did not believe in him. John 1, verses 10 through 12 tells us that he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, talking about the Jewish people, And his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believed in his name. So in returning to Nazareth, Jesus continued to show his compassion. He taught again in their synagogue. He healed a few who were there and though the people were astonished by Jesus, their astonishment did not lead to faith. Jesus, in fact, it says he marveled in their unbelief. Now, I look this up and only one other time in Matthew eight ten and Luke 7, 9, talking about the same situation there. Only one other time does the Gospels tell us that Jesus marveled. Here in John 6.6, 6, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. They were Jewish people that refused to believe in the Messiah, and he marveled at their unbelief. But in Matthew 8.10 and Luke 7.9, both telling the same account, Jesus marveled at a centurion's belief. Here was a Gentile who their people worshipped many other gods, Yet he had more faith than the Jews who were to worship the one and true God and Jesus marveled because of his belief. Whether Gentile, a person of those who worship many other gods or those who have been raised in faith, we need to be those who have faith in Jesus. What I want us to see For the disciples, and really the disciples aren't mentioned here except for the very um, first verse. But for us, what I want us to understand, then he went out from there, came to his own country, assumed to be Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. So for the disciples to use their gifts and talents, it was necessary for them to continue to follow Jesus. There was new surveys that came out this week talking about the church since our life of the church since the pandemic, since the uh, 15 days to slow the spread. I can't even remember that. I was trying to remember the exact words. There 15 days that turned into about a year and a half and churches being closed and strip clubs and uh, bars being open saying that churches are non-essential and there is a lot of people who have never come back they just have not come back and the new surveys say that smaller churches have been hurt the worse for it and they had said congregations that i think it went back to 2016 or 17 this was in my notes on wednesday if you want to listen to that But congregations, they said a median-sized church of about 125. So total people in the church before the pandemic now running about 65. And so a big drop in numbers. And so hurting churches, churches closing. For those who want to use their spiritual gifts and talents, they need to follow Jesus. And that talks about... Our commitment to Christ and going where the word of God is being proclaimed, um, going to places where we can learn to grow in our faith. And so for us in the first point, one of the take homes and there's a lot to take in their unbelief and all of that in Nazareth. That's to their hurt. But for us, I want us to understand we have to follow Jesus. Secondly, he calls the twelve disciples to him. And we're in uh, Matthew 10 for this. Matthew 10, picking up in verses 1 through 4. We're going to read verse 1. And when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over the unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So Mark's gospel and also Luke's gospel. So the synoptic gospels, is a way that the theologians have termed Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they have similar accounts of Christ. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us about the original calling of the twelve, but Mark and Luke do. So Mark 3, verses 13 through 19, tells us when Jesus first called the twelve to himself that he might send them out to preach, and the 12 have been following Jesus here in Mark. The counter passage to this Matthew 10 is found in Mark 6 verses 8 through 13. We read of Jesus calling the 12 to himself and now giving them power. So Mark and Luke both tell us of two separate occasions where he called the 12 to himself. One was the initial calling them to be his followers, his disciples, the 12. And then this occasion, he gave them power that he might send them out. And I like it that Mark and Luke gives us these two layers of the disciples calling because I believe after we accept Jesus as our Savior, we must spend time with Him to grow in our faith, to discover our gifts and our talents before the Lord can properly send us out to use those gifts and talents for His glory. Sometimes we try to go out too quickly. And I'm not saying that you have to have everything figured out before going out, but I am saying that It takes time to develop and sometimes as we find here with Jesus, he sends them out really on a a short term missionary journey and they're going to come back and they're going to later on. We'll read of them coming back to Jesus, talking about all that they had done in the name of Jesus on that short term missionary journey. And so it's important for us to spend time with Jesus, to grow in our faith, to develop our gifts before he sends us forth, to use those gifts for his glory and our good. first, second Peter three, eight says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. So this is a great example, I think, of our church motto of believe receive, grow, and go, that there's a process of how we develop in our faith, and we should always be developing. So he empowered the 12. This is a Greek word that means to have liberty or power to act. They had the ability given to them to them, um, to do miracles, to raise the dead, as we will see in the next point. But here Jesus gave them power on earth to act. In Matthew 9, 6, it tells us that Jesus has the power on earth to forgive sin. And this was evident with his ability to heal the sick. Now he gives this power to the 12 that they too might cast out unclean spirits, heal all manners of sickness and disease. And although Jesus gave them spiritual giftings, they would have to exercise their faith in using the gifts that were given to them. Thus, acting upon God's God-given gifts was key. We have to, God can gift us, and we can choose not to use the gifts that he has given us. That definition of he gave them power, the Greek definition here says that it's liberty or power to act, that means you have the freedom to use the gifts that you, the Lord has given you. And we can choose to use those gifts or deny the gifts that he has given us. As believers, we have each been given gifts and talents. As I mentioned last week in Romans 3, in Romans 12, 3, uh, God has dealt each, to each one of us a measure of faith. He has given us gifts and talents, but those gifts and talents have to be exercised by faith. Paul reminded Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Paul says something in his young protege Timothy that Paul in prison writing to Timothy reminded him, Don't neglect to use the gift that's been given to you as we grow in faith we should seek to discover our spiritual gifts once discovered through faith we must develop our gifts use them for god's glory and perhaps you may know your spiritual gift your giftings that he may have given you maybe you're still trying to discover those gifts and maybe today the lord is wanting to just stir up the gifts that he's already given to you Paul, again, writing to Timothy, his last letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 6, he reminds Timothy, and Paul is on death roll now. He is going to die soon. And one of the last things he wrote, his last letter that we have going to Timothy, he says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, I know you are gifted. Now use those gifts, stir them up. In verses 2 through 12, Matthew names the 12 disciples. This is one of the few places where the 12 disciples are listed for us. Here, Matthew lists them in pairs. Mark and Luke tells us on the same occasion that Jesus sent them out two by two. Matthew might be telling you the pairs that went out, how they went out by pairs. Uh, We can't know for sure. But he did list them out in pairs. And so in the naming of the 12, Matthew 10, verses 2 through 4, first Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Livius, who is also named Thaddeus, Simon, and the Canaanite and and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So it could be the teams, they went out two by two. Matthew might be giving us the two by two groupings by the way he named them here. To this day, I think there's just wisdom in having ministry partners. Uh, In the book of Acts, we see partnerships of Peter and John, of Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, Uh, Barnabas and John Mark, and one of my favorite, Aquila and Priscilla. He first called Peter. Peter is always listed first. When they list the apostles, Peter's always listed first. He became a leading figure in the church itself. And though Peter was willing to follow Jesus, he often made mistakes. Some of them that I thought about, Peter would often speak before thinking he stepped out of a boat before fully comprehending the danger sometimes he would sleep when he should have been praying and yes peter john tells us this he was the one when jesus was being arrested who took his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest And I'm glad, though, that Peter was chosen first by Jesus because it gives me hope because there's been times where I've spoken before I thought. And sometimes the words are coming out of my mouth and I'm thinking I should shut up right now, but I don't. I just keep saying it. It's like your head saying, uh-uh, nobody's ever done that before, right? Have you ever stepped out in a situation before comprehending the danger? Have you ever slept when you should have been praying? Seems like if I want some sleep, one way to get there is to start praying. I've never cut off anybody's ear, so I'm glad about that. But I have made mistakes. Peter gives me hope. Andrew, his brother... In the scripture, we find that Andrew is always bringing people to Jesus. He brought his brother Peter to Jesus. He brought the boy with the five loaves and the two fish. And uh, Andrew, along with Philip, brought some Greeks to see Jesus. And it would be wonderful to be known for this, always bringing the people to Jesus. James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, it appears that Andrew and John were disciples of John the Baptist before they became disciples of Jesus Christ. It could have been that John then introduced his brother James to Jesus. We don't know that, but we, I believe by the gospel of John that John was a follower of John the Baptist, and so there was this influence that plays in there. But we do know that they were both fishermen with their father Zebedee, And it appears that they were a little better off than Peter and Andrew who were also fishermen because John would later be able to get Peter into the courtyard of the high priest on the night of Jesus' trial. Also, again, we find that James and John, apparently they were hotheads after a Samaritan village would not allow Jesus to be received there James and John asked Jesus in Luke 9, verse 51, so Jesus gave them power. Now we're going to find an occasion where they wish to misuse the power that was given to them because the Samaritans refused Jesus. James and John said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? Man, they were ready for some mighty miracles. So we don't know if this nickname is connected to this one question that they had for Jesus, but Jesus nicknamed these two the sons of thunder. You want to be like Zeus, call down lightning and fire? James, though, became the first martyr of the 12, and although John did not die of martyrdom, Tertullian tells us, a second century theologian, that he was first boiled in a ca- cauldron of oil that did not harm him, and afterwards banished to Patmos for a season, and then finished his days pastoring in the church of Ephesus. Philip and Bartholomew, we get less information about Philip. Scripture tells us that Jesus was the one who found Philip and said, Follow me. And afterwards Philip went and found Nathaniel or Bartholomew and brought him to Jesus, saying, In John 1, 45 and 46, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And though Philip brought Bartholomew or Nathaniel to Jesus, Bartholomew's response was not the greatest, because when Philip First told his friend, we've found the Messiah. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip's response was simply come and see. I think as followers of Jesus Christ, sometimes we don't have to have a long dissertation to argue with people about faith. Sometimes we simply need to say, come and see, come and check it out. Just come and tell me. What your response might be. And Bartholomew did respond. He did come. And he discovered. In fact, he would declare to Jesus in John 149. The first time he met Jesus, his proclamation was, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And so it didn't take him long to discover. He just needed the invitation. Thomas called the twin. He's best known to us as Doubting Thomas. And that is because he did not believe the other disciples after Jesus rose from the grave, that Jesus actually had risen from the grave. It appears that Thomas often uh, looked to the negative in every situation. There are some people, do you know them? that always has this negative situation about it. They can't look to the positive for anything. That seemed to be Thomas. When Jesus wanted to go to where Lazarus was, Jesus had announced that he had died. Let's go there. And the disciples said, Lord, don't you know that they want to kill you? And um, Thomas responded, let's go that we may die with him. Hey, if we're going to go, let's go. We're going to die, but let's go. But I'm glad that scripture records this one question of Thomas. When Jesus said, you can follow, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave, but you can come, you can follow me. Thomas responded in John 14, 5 and 6, said, Lord, we do not know the way or where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except by me. I'm glad Doubting Thomas asked that one question of Jesus. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. Do you know that Less than two weeks ago, that verse, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, John 14:6. That verse that is on the back of my uh, sweatshirt that I wear, that verse that is on the back of my pickup truck, that verse that a guy was wearing in the Mall of America in Minnesota was asked to leave the mall, take the shirt off, or go. People don't want to know the way. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want to know the life today. That's found in Jesus Christ. So Matthew, or Levi, who was a tax collector, as Matthew tells us here, uh, writing about himself, when he called Jesus, he gave a great feast in his house, and the fellow tax collectors, the sinners, also joined them there. And although nothing more is really mentioned of Matthew, we are eternally grateful for the gospel that he has given us. James, the son of Alphaeus, James, or James the Less, as he's called in Mark three forty, um, either called him James the Less because he wasn't very tall, or he was second under James, the son of Zebedee. We don't know much about him, but we do know that his mother was... So Mary, Jesus' mother's sister, was at the foot of the cross with uh, Mary. She was there. He was related to Jesus. His mom was at the foot of the cross. Tradition says he took the gospel to Persia or modern Iran and was martyred there. Libyus or Thaddeus, although we have no real insight on Thaddeus, um, he is called by three different names in three gospels. Libius, Thaddeus, and Judas, the son of James. Simon, the Canaanite, he's called the Zealot because they fought against Rome. And so they were looking to oppose the Roman rule. Often the uh, Zealots were assassins at that time. And he was looking to hold on to the Mosaic traditions. And Judas Iscariot, every time Judas is mentioned, listed the first time, in all of the Gospels, they tell us, as Matthew did here, Judas, who also betrayed him. Every one of the Gospel writers tell us of Judas's betrayal. I mean, they blow the the whole account. You know, if you're writing a novel, you're writing a book, a suspense thing, you usually don't tell who the murderer is, the betrayer is, until the end. You want to leave a little suspense in there. They so detest the things that judas did to christ that they let you know right from the beginning who the betrayer was truly peter 10 of his fellows apostles they give me hope because in similar ways jesus has called each of us he is patient with us he works in us with all of our quirks all of our oddities that we can have and something to ponder Jesus gave the same power that he gave to the other 11. He came to Judas. He gave it to Judas as well. Ultimately, Judas chose not to use the gifts, the talents the Lord has given him. And that is something that we have. We can choose either to use the gifts or talents or choose not to use those gifts. Our final point, 5 through 15, we find... Jesus sending out the twelve, five through ten, he says the twelve, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go to the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely. You have received freely give. Provide neither gold or silver or copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor to tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. For a worker is worthy of his food. So Jesus' instruction, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So later on, the Lord, after his resurrection, his ascension back into heaven, he would send them to go to the Gentiles. We read about that in Acts 13, 47, and the Samaritans. We read about in Acts 4, 27, Jesus would send them, but now was not the time. Jesus instructed them to take nothing extra for their journey. If you ever went on a long trip, um, when we, I was part of a construction mission trip in South Sudan, we were told we could only take 15 kilos, 30 pounds uh, per passenger when we went into South Sudan because we flew in on a bush plane and there was limits of the weight that we would carry. It's hard to pack only 30 pounds. We were, we were doing a construction mission trip, and I brought tools. Tools can weigh 30 pounds. And yet I had to bring food, clothing, and uh, it was hard to pack. How would they survive? This trip would truly cause them every step to be steps of faith. They were to bring with them the power that Jesus had given to them, the power to heal, to cast out demons, to preach the kingdom of God. And we've already seen in Matthew's gospel, Jesus preached the same message of, and John the Baptist, repent the kingdom of heaven is now as at hand. And now Jesus instructs his disciples to do the same. Preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Preach that the Lord is coming again. And when they were to go, verses 11 through 15, closing out our teaching today, whatever city, whatever town they entered, inquire in it who is worthy and say and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if not, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So besides not taking extra money, extra stuff, when they came into the town, they were to look for a worthy, I don't know, they came into the gate and said, Who's the best family you got in this town? Who's the worthy people here? Who loves God in this city? And go there. If the house was worthy, let your peace be upon that house. If not, let your peace return to you. If the town did not receive you, shake the dust off your feet. This was customary to shake the dust off for Jewish people when they went through the Samaritan villages or went through a a Gentile town they would often knock the dust off their feet kind of saying that we don't want to bring your dust even into our country so here it was a rejection though you have rejected the gospel message of Jesus Christ we don't want to carry your dust with us they were to let their peace come upon them Jesus said in John 14 27 Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to, I give. Let not your heart be troubled. Let it not be afraid. So I was putting this verse in my message on Thursday. And I was reminded of a brother in Ukraine who has been asking for just help because of the fear that he has. Would anybody blame someone in a war zone of being afraid? And so he was asking for prayer. And uh, I could have went on, but right at that moment, I read this verse, and I thought of John over in Ukraine, and I emailed him and said, I was reading this verse, and I, I sent it to him. He responded yesterday. And he said, I have been saying that verse over and over again this morning. What verse? My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We can help give peace of Christ to others, but we have to act upon that. It might be that the Lord brings someone across your Mind your heart, and at that moment we reach out to them, as I did by email, or maybe we can physically reach out to someone. But it's our role to help bring the peace that the Lord has given us, to give that to others through faith in Jesus Christ. It's like the Arianic blessing of number 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Just as Aaron was commanded to bless the people of God with God's peace, the disciples are commanded to bless the people with God's peace. So should we. Be ministers of peace wherever we go. In Ephesians 2.17, he came and he preached peace to you and to those who are far off and to those who are near. We are to present and preach peace. Yet if a group rejects it, a household, a people group, a city, an individual, then Jesus instructed his disciples, shake off the dust, just move on. Go to another city. Go to another place. Move on. So of these Jews who rejected Jesus' apostles, Jesus said it'll be worse for them than Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. That always interested me because God has once judged Sodom and Gomorrah, but Jesus talks about a second judgment that's coming on the day of judgment for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, talking about an eternal judgment. They are still awaiting that final judgment. But it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah because the Jews who should have known better, those who have been given uh, prophecies concerning the Messiah's coming, rejecting the very truths concerning their Messiah, then their judgment will be higher against them. So for us, in using our gifts and talents, may we strive to leave peace, the peace of Christ, wherever we go. So in using our gifts and talents, today we've learned first it's necessary to be followers of Jesus Christ. You want to use and develop those gifts and talents that the Lord has given you? Follow Jesus. As you follow Jesus... He will empower you with certain abilities. You may have to develop those abilities, but he will empower you. He will gift you, and then he will send you. And as he sends us, as we go, wherever we go, may we strive to leave the peace of Christ wherever we go. Now, I've seen people um, in their attempt to share Christ, all they do is frustrate. They're not leaving peace. In fact, they make people angry. And uh, we need to be gentlemen, gentle women in presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes the Lord may cause us to have uh, force in the message of the gospel that we might have to present. But we also need to Leave the peace of Christ wherever we go. As we go, John wrote here, as you go, as we go about in this life, we are to use the gifts that the Lord has given us in sharing the gospel message with others. Mark sixteen fifteen says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And Father, help us to be those, Lord, f- who follow you. The disciples followed you, followed you to Nazareth. Uh, They were there when they saw the city of Nazareth reject you that second time. They witnessed the miracles that you did. They followed you. So much so that you called 12 to yourself. And the 12 that you called, Lord, you empowered. And I believe, Lord, today that not only do you call us, that you empower us. So help us, Lord, to use the gifts and the talents that you have given us. Maybe, Lord, today it's just a matter of trying to discover what those gifts, those talents might be. Maybe, Lord, you want to call us to stir up those gifts as Paul twice wrote to Timothy to remind him of the gifts, not to neglect the gifts, but to stir up the gifts that have been given to him by the laying on of hands. Help us, Lord, that we would be ministers of peace in a world, Lord, that... There is so much false peace in this world, Lord. You've given us your truth. Help us to be ministers of peace in this world that others might see you and know you as their Savior. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.